good morning. It is an incredible honor to be here today. Pastor John, thank you for affording me this incredible privilege to take God's word and spend some time together with God's people in this place. Uh, you can open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we'll be looking at that passage in just a moment. But it, it is a privilege to kick off this series that uh, God has put on the heart of our pastor. And uh, we're going to be talking about the material world that we live in. And uh, I was thinking back uh, about the last time I preached here at Hallmark. Uh, some of you probably don't remember that. Uh, I had spoke at a youth rally. Uh, a few years ago, 1973, 1974, uh, the youth pastor had had me in for one of those area-wide youth rallies. In fact, I think Carlos was the youth pastor back then. Uh, he's aged well. But uh, Hallmark is now our home. Uh, Pastor John is now my pastor. I introduced him. I don't know if he picked up on it when we were out the other day. I said, this is my pastor. And uh, when Kathy and I look back at the four decades that we had a privilege uh, to be a part of leadership in a local church, we, we look at that with incredible fond memories. We have a dear friend here, Michael Mercer. From uh, He was uh, in high school back then. And he even had hair back then. <laughs> but a good man in high school, a good man, a good dad, good husband. And it's just a blessing. That's one of the great things about Christian community, isn't it? That we, we have an opportunity to build relationships, to get to know one another and, and do life together through the good and, and through the bad. But uh, this season now is different. We know that... Uh, for that season, four decades plus, God called upon us to lead in local church communities, both one in Florida and then in Ohio. And my lovely bride, Kathy, would you wave at us over here? Uh, she has already found her place with kids' ministries, and she loves it. And so on, on behalf of Kathy and myself, I want to thank you, Hallmark, for embracing us and making this community our community, our home. Now, there's so many things that uh, I just don't have time to talk about this really and develop it, but so many things that God used to make it clear that this is where we su we're supposed to be. I knew Pastor Mike, we were not dear friends, always had immense respect for him. Uh, Pastor John and I were not dear friends. We, I knew of him, had deep respect for him, but uh, we, had, uh, we had transitioned, handed off to a young man who'd been with us for 12 years, who is now the lead pastor at Connect Church uh, in Ohio. And <laughs> when, when we did so, uh, January of the next year, I met my family in Florida. We had moved there 
thinking this is it, we're, we're gonna work out of Florida because I hadn't retired, it was just a new season, it was gonna involve writing and doing things I've been wanting to do for a long time. And, and then this little thing called COVID-19 uh, came along and socked us into our little community where we lived. Uh, in fact, uh, we did find out something that uh, we did not want to live in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we're in one of those high fence uh, retirement people uh, communities. And just as a, an insider note, I mean, I, I love older folks. I are, I are one, okay. And, but don't put them all in one place, put a fence around them and a guard gate. Because they, it, it, it was paralyzing. You get together and you start talking and all you're hearing is a laundry list of all the things that are falling apart in their bodies. And Kathy and I developed the, the, three, the three body part rule. After you tell us about three body parts that are falling apart, stop it. There's just no more. So we didn't really fit in. And then our son here in the Fort Worth area said, Dad, you, you just need to come help us. They just adopted a... a a child and together with their birth child and Kathy being the most amazing Nana in the world said let's do it let's just move there and in coming here we knew we were home at Hallmark on the way home after the first Sunday Pastor John had preached and uh, she says what do you think I said I said I'm, I'm in how do you know so soon I said honey I went the entire service. I went the full 30 minutes of Pastor John preaching and I never looked at my watch one time. And, and I, it was that simple. And uh, we, we men, we are watch watchers, are we not? I mean, we can three hours on Sunday afternoon in front of the television, football game, it goes like three minutes. 30 minutes here can seem like three days <laughs> if it's bad. And, and we are blessed because we knew. So, Hallmark, thank you for taking us in. We're just, we're just honored to be here. Well, today we're going to start talking about the material world. I want to just really hopefully get across one idea today. If we can walk out of here with one idea that uh, makes a difference in, our life, difference in our life. We have not wasted our time. And this, this material world we live in, there is a question that begs to be asked. And, and it's pretty simple. Who does it belong to? Everything you see, all the stuff, who, who does it belong to? Uh, who owns all the stuff? And, and as Pastor John said, why do we want more? Why are we so obsessed with the stuff? That, that is all around us. Uh, there was a recent Super Bowl ad uh, that Ewan McGregor, uh, the, the most recent actor to play uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Star Wars franchise, but he was the pitch man for Expedia, the travel company. And uh, he, I think, came really close. Expedia got really close in asking the right question about stuff. And so we're gonna play just a 50 second clip of that. So uh, pay attention if you would. 
Stuff. We love stuff. And there's some really great stuff out there. But I doubt that any of us will look back on our lives and think, I wish I'd gotten a slightly sportier SUV, bought an even thinner TV, or found a trendier scent. I wish I'd discovered a crunchier chip, or had an even smarter smartphone. Do you think any of us will look back in our lives and regret the things we didn't buy? There it is, stuff. And, and I, I just want to get us started with this question. Do, do you think you'll come to the end of your life as you look ahead? And trust me, where's Pastor Mike? I know he's here. I saw him a little earlier unless he cut out. No, he stayed. Yay. It goes, it goes quickly, doesn't it? Man, it goes fast. And, and in fact, the, the second reason, Pastor John, I, just a real quick side thought. I didn't look at my watch, but we love the fact that Hallmark is a multi-generational church. That, that is a big deal in the church world today. Everyone's welcome. And, and like it or not, sometimes generations define a church, but I think we need each other. We need older folks. We just don't want to hear about their body parts, okay? <laughs> we, we need the, the life, the inspiration, the enthusiasm of younger people. We need the excitement. They need the wisdom, the experience. And so we came here and that, I thought, wow, how cool. Pastor John is leading a church to love people. Doesn't matter what their background, is, what their race is, what their culture is, they are welcome. And so today we ask the question, do you think anyone will come to the end of their life, look back and wish I had a thinner TV screen, a fragrance that smelled a little better? You know, do, do I think I'll reach the end of my life and regret that I didn't buy more stuff? I think the answer is, is pretty simple to that because the, the, the material stuff, the money that buys it, just, it doesn't make you happy. The, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he made this statement. He said, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true what? What's the word? Happiness. It, it doesn't bring Happiness, money, the Beatles said it in 64, money can't buy you love. And, and at the end of the day, when you, you think about the, my generation and, and the hippies and even the new movie, The Jesus Revolution, all of that was about finding an answer, finding something for the empty spot within our innermost being, who we really are, because this hunk of clay, this jar of clay that we see when we look at one another is not who we really are. Because there's a body within our body that's gonna live forever somewhere. And, and are we ready for that somewhere? And that's really what the hippies were looking for. They were looking, they, they were lied to. You know, after Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and these, a whole parade of them died in their own vomit from 
overdose with drugs, they realized, and that's a big part of the Jesus Revolution, they realized they'd been lied to. And I don't want to lie to you today. I want to put stuff in this material word, world in its proper place. It won't make you happy. And, and, and there's empirical evidence. I don't have time to, to spend just kind of drilling down on it, but uh, billionaire Thomas Lee was just found dead. Not, not millionaire, billionaire in his office in Manhattan. Hatton, had one of the, the largest private art collections in the world. And he took his own life. And I know that the, the mental health issues are, are a big deal in, in our world and always have been and should be taken seriously. But ultimately, when someone realizes that all the stuff, all the money and the stuff it can buy in this material world, it doesn't make you happy and they reach that moment that life is not worth living. Don't you think it just makes sense for us to sit up and take note of that? So let's get started very quickly. Three thoughts as quickly as I can give them to you. Number one, let's start with the truth here of this material world. Number one, all the stuff. All the stuff. It belongs to God. That's number one. And, and there's our passage. We started uh, with First Chronicles chapter 29. If you, you have your Bible open, you can read along if you want to look at the screen. Uh, let's just... Could we read that verse out loud together? Would that be all right? We do that here at Hallmark. Let, let's go ahead. Together. Join me. Let's read it together. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. There it is. All the stuff belongs to God. Pastor John included that verse in his video. I believe it was on Friday. And he reminded us from this passage that all the stuff belongs to God. Now, how important is this? If you don't get this right, everything else will not make sense. You need to understand how this material world works that we live in. And so this this idea that it all belongs to God, we have uh, theologians, this is not an original idea to me, uh, you don't hear it an awful lot, but there is a term or a phrase to describe what that means. We, we call it divine ownership. We call the ownership of all the stuff divine ownership. Uh, that, and why is this so important? It, why is this such a, a big deal? Because here it is. God never really has all of you until you have affirmed that all of it belongs to him. Divine ownership is us acknowledging that it all belongs to him. Everything, uh, the, the air we breathe, virtually the life we have, it all belongs to him. So we call God's ownership of all the stuff divine ownership. Now, you know, we all have our favorite preachers, one of the greatest preachers in the 20th century, uh, Billy Graham, uh, made this statement. And, and I think it, it really makes sense right now to, to hear what he had to say. He said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. And there's a, a scripture 
certainly to back that up. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. You know, you've heard before, you know, put your money where your mouth is. The truth is we put our money where our heart is, is what Scripture says. And so because God loves people more than anything, if we love God, we invest in people. And there's a simple adage that goes like this. If you love the stuff, okay, you'll use people. But if you love people, you'll use the stuff. We need stuff. I don't want you to walk out of here and say, Ed, today proposed that we all uh, live like Mother Teresa and, or shave our heads, move up on a mountaintop somewhere and live in the dirt, you know, in a monastery. That's not what I'm saying. We live in a material world, and Pastor John's going to help us just bring all that into balance. And, and that's really where the second part of all this, as, as we think about what is divine ownership, you know, what is divine ownership? Because you, you cannot miss what it is. It is that absolute truth that establishes that God is the creator of all, is the owner of all. And, and once you get that, you can start placing it into your life. And, and the things of this world will start making sense. Uh, a little bit of history buff, and I, I just wish I had more time to tell you this, but most of you have heard or come across, if you haven't, you owe it to yourself to, to read the book or even watch the old movie, uh, The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom uh, had a statement about the stuff that is one of, my favorite, one of my favorite sayings about stuff. Hold everything in your hands lightly, otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. And, and, and I like that because Corey Ten Boom had a right to say that. Uh, we see her as a, an older woman in this photograph, but I want you to just go back to the 1940s when the Nazi regime under Adolf Hitler came goose-stepping into the Netherlands and, in, and virtually conquered them almost overnight. And, and how this, this woman now, who has wisdom, from a life of seeing the fact that God owns it all. She is a young Christian businesswoman, a unique and really a gifted person, the very first certified licensed watchmaker as a woman in her entire country. But she helped run the family business. But when Hitler came in and started arresting the Jewish people, as a believer, she and her family said, we can't do this. We need to do our part in rescuing. There's a connection here. I wish I had more time to develop it. Do you realize God left us on this planet to rescue people? That, that, that is really, when we get the divine ownership part right, we can actually be a part in this rescuing. And it will cost you something. Corey Ten Boom and her family uh, were under close scrutiny. They built a room in their house. O over the course of, uh, of a period of time, God used them to rescue 800 souls from certain death. But ultimately, an informant turned them in. Long story short is this. She was arrested. Her father was arrested. He was dead a couple of days later. She and her sister went to an internment camp. And, and really, the only reason we know the story today because someone made, <laughs> just like God, 
somebody made a clerical, a clerical error. Somebody made a mistake, and she was released even when she wasn't supposed to, and she escaped. And, and by God's grace, the story has been preserved. But, but here it is. What did she learn through it all? Now, maybe that saying makes a little bit more sense to you. Don't hold tightly onto the stuff. Why? Because sometimes God has to pry it out of our hands. Why? It's his stuff. He has a right to do that. Anybody here had something pried out of their hands because you hung on to it too tightly? So, number one, all the stuff belongs to God. Number two, what is God's plan for me regarding the stuff? It's really very simple. God is the owner of all the stuff, and, and life is hard if you spend your life arguing with God, the true owner of the, owner of the stuff. You will be in constant conflict, and I, I, would, I could take the rest of the day just talking through all of the conflict I see. And it always comes back to the issue of stuff, people fighting over the stuff. But there is something I want you to see now in Scripture, because Jesus just spells it out for us, Matthew chapter 24. Our role, our part with the stuff, what are we supposed to do with the stuff? God's plan for me is as a servant, I am a servant of his stuff. So here it is, Matthew 24. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all that he owns. There it is. Our job as servants, we are to manage God's stuff. Uh, Jesus preached so much on this issue of material possessions, the material world. In fact, I've heard Pastor John say it. He, Jesus talked more about the stuff than he, he did even on themes like heaven and hell. Be, because, and this is going to be a, a troubling to some of you, but you cannot be right with God until you get divine ownership settled. You, you will never be right with God and so Jesus just kind of summed it all up in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, where he said, what will it profit someone if you gain the whole world, lose your own soul? Gaining the whole world, that's the stuff. That's a relevant question for us today. Uh, just something to take away real quickly before we get to our last and third thought is givers, oh, it is a profoundly baffling thing for the scientists and the scholars and the social architects of our world, but givers really are happier than takers. Some of the happiest people I know are, are people who have very little as far as the world's goods, but they are content. And that contentment makes it possible for them to be happy, even small acts of generosity. It's not the how much you give, it's not, it's really more about how, what you have left after you give. Remember when Jesus pointed to the widow, widow woman and said, look at her, she give, she's giving more than anyone. Why? Because she gave from her need. So divine ownership allows you to move from the world of I gotta give do I get to give? See, some of you, you're giving, but you're locked into that, I gotta give, not I get to give. Some of you rolled in here today going, yes, 
<laughs> I get to give. God has blessed me and it's all his and I'm going to, and it's not about how little do I have to give to get God off my back to how, how much can I give and still live in this world? Let, let's just jump ahead here. Number three, how to have a divine ownership breakthrough. I'm gonna give you three thoughts, three very practical ways. Number one, step one, be honest. You, you gotta just drill down on this. It sounds so simple, but, but the truth is, it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves at times. You see, this changes everything. Once you get your head around this idea that God owns it all, and it is not a got to, it's a get to, and because he owns it, my job as a manager, a steward of his resources, as his servants, I am here to take what I need to live, to get by, uh, and, and God is so good to us, oftentimes he gives us even more than our needs, he gives us many of our wants, but at the end of the day, it's about what he wants, not what we want. I want to get sidetracked with this. I could spend a lot of time this afternoon talking about the stats, the statistics about giving. 247 million people in America say they are, they identify themselves as Christians. And yet, only around 1.5 million of them give 10% or more of their income. It's been calculated that if uh, all believers put their heart in love with Jesus and surrender to his divine ownership, the, the annual tithe, we're not talking beyond that, would be over 139 billion a year. So getting honest, it's, it's so hard to get honest. I, there needs to be moments in your life where you just admit you're struggling with something. And you may already be giving. But God loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging giver. And, and divine ownership will turn you into a joyful giver. I, I struggle uh, oftentimes with tough moments. And, 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 and I, I think we all need to be honest and, and ask God to help us move through those. So get honest, next step, get right. Prayer and repentance, Pastor John has said this a number of times lately, that prayer precedes revival. And you cannot get right without repentance, without prayer. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what ways have we robbed you? A verse, we don't have time to dissect. But at the end of the day, I think we all, regardless of how we see this verse, will accept the fact that you can't rob something from God if it didn't belong to him to begin with. It's all his. Stop worrying about the tithe, it's all his. It's a starting place. It's a place to affirm divine ownership. And so Jesus spoke to this time and time again, get honest. Get right. And then last here, get surrendered. Just get surrendered. It's all about surrendering heart every day, getting up. Here's a passage that, that I just hope you'll maybe spend some time contemplating this afternoon. 
It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. For I can testify that they gave me, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, not only what they could afford, but far above it. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. They surrendered themselves, acknowledging that it all belonged to God. They did what they couldn't afford. They sacrificed. They surrendered. And that's what our relationship with Christ is all about. It is a continuing journey of surrender, our salvation. When you come to Christ, you've got to surrender, recklessly abandon your own ability to save yourself and turn everything over to Christ. We surrender when we connect to community and we give ourselves to each other. But our surrendered life to the mission, to our daily walk with Christ, is really something that's ongoing. It's never done. I, I, I hope you can look back at your life and measure moments of surrender I uh, was thinking about that idea this last week, and I went back and just started measuring things and moments when I, I, I believe God spoke to my heart and I, I surrendered. August 17, 1970, I was a 17-year-old young man getting ready to go into my senior high school, and, and God spoke to my heart, and I surrendered my life to him. Five months later, I, I was in a large gymnasium on the campus of of. University of Michigan, participating in a, an athletic event. And I crawled off under some bleachers. And I prayed and said, Lord, I, I, I don't have a lot to give you, but I surrender it to you. I can go back to that place. And I look at my life, there's just so many moments. I was taking Kathy to church one Sunday. It was snowing, and they probably should have canceled it. We were still in college in Springfield, Missouri. And, and as, as the snow came down, I dropped Kathy off. And I, I was asking God to speak to me. And I was, I, I, I just dropped her right close to the door. I parked the car. And, and to get to the door, I was kind of running along, along the side of the building because I was trying to let the building break the wind. I had my head down. And I was running along, along the side of the building. There was an air conditioner sticking out. Yeah, you figure out the rest and ran into it, going about full tilt, knocked me out. Woke up, looking up, and really one of the first thoughts I had was, okay, Lord, what are you showing me? Because I was in this season of God, I really want to do what you want me to do. And, and really, frankly, I, I've had a hard time coming away with anything too profound. I think what the Lord showed me is don't run with your head down, okay? <laughs> But, but every one of us, and I could spend, we could all get up here and share moments when God showed us something. I was in a seminary class when I looked around the room, and it was a, another denomination from that which I had grown up in. And yet I felt a need to do some more work and, and to study more and have the discipline of academia. And, and I, I remember... As I started the class, it was on revival. I thought, well, this is crazy. This, this other denomination is going to do something on revival. And, and I have my doubt that even all of them are saved. Talk about arrogance. In about an hour, 
into the first 90-minute gathering, I had to leave the room because I was not, I was sure of one thing, they were saved and I was probably the weakest believer in the room. That, that is a moment of surrender where I decided, God, I'm not going to worry about judging anybody else. You can't be right with God unless you get this right. You see, when you give yourself first, you've experienced a divine ownership breakthrough. And that's, that's when you can do like the psalmist David. Here it is. Go back to our, our verse. When you can say... Everything in the heavens and on the earth is yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. It's all yours. And then, then you can read something like, I mean, one of the most spiritual moments of my life happened in Ecuador, speaking to a very elderly woman. Her name was Rachel Saint. She was the sister of Nate Saint, one of the, the missionaries who had been martyred there in Ecuador by that primitive Ecuadorian tribe. But when they went back and found Jim Elliott's journal, they came across the statement that meant so much to him. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain, gain that what he, which he cannot lose. So there you have it. When you come to the end, what are you going to be thinking about? Did you give what you couldn't hold on to to begin with to gain something? that by God's grace you can't lose. Because at the end of the day, and here it is, it's not about how much money you make or how much stuff you bought. It's about hearts you've touched and how many people you've loved and how many people you've influenced to know and follow Jesus. That's really what it's all about. Let's bow for prayer. Would you bow with me? Before, before I pray, I just want to press upon your heart this one thought. I, I believe God speaks to our hearts. We, we hear words in our ears and our mind kind of processes those words. But here today, I believe there's some people that God's spoken to your hearts. There's something about divine ownership that suddenly the light went on or maybe you've known it before, but today... You want to make this moment, today, this moment, March 5th, 2023, the moment that you look back as the moment you surrendered completely to the fact that God owns everything, including you, your time, your talents, your treasures. And if that's the case, make today a spiritual moment. Make your way to the front. If God leads you to do that, kneel, pray. Come by yourself, come with your spouse come with a friend. This can be a revolutionary moment for each of us if we allow it to be a moment when we measure this moment of surrender. Lord, speak to our hearts. Today we're, we're virtually incapable of doing anything on our own. We know that, Lord, unless you build the house, all our labors in vain. So, Lord, build us today by drawing our hearts to the spiritual moment of surrender, Lord. It can't be fabricated. What I've said, Lord, is meaningless unless hearts are moved. So speak to our hearts today. Lord, draw us close to you. In Jesus' name I pray.